Good morning, everyone. My name's Peter. I'm the Senior Minister. And it's been delightful to be at St Luke's this morning and now to be with you. Let's pray as we come to today's passage. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the King and we bow before you. Teach us now what it means to live in your kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we begin a new series called Life in the Kingdom, based on three chapters in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 18 to 20. And it'd be great if you could read these chapters over the coming weeks. The series will go up to Easter and then for a few weeks after Easter to the end of April. So if you could read them, that would be terrific. And if those of you who are in growth groups uh, could follow the series, that would just help you uh, get a little bit more out of the sermons on Sundays. Life in the kingdom, what do I mean by that term? Well, the kingdom is the kingdom of God, God's kingdom, or in Matthew's gospel described as the kingdom of heaven. And life in the kingdom is simply another way of saying life with God, uh, life as a Christian, uh, life as a Christian community. And so life in the kingdom is about what we want to, uh, what we believe and how we behave as Christians under our king. And I've called this first sermon Greatness and Humility from verses 1 to 14 of chapter 18. And it begins with the disciples asking Jesus a strange question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? Who is the greatest? Now we know what sort of question this is, don't we? This is a ranking question. Who's at the top? Who's number one? And if you follow uh, tennis, you're probably used to that sort of discussion. Who is the greatest tennis player that's ever been? Is it Federer? Is it Nadal? Or now, is it Djokovic, the favourite of the Australian public? (laughs) What are the disciples really asking? It looks like they're asking... Who are Jesus' best friends? Who's in the inner circle? If Jesus was driving a car, who'd be getting in the car with him and who'd be catching the bus afterwards? But I think what they're really asking is about power. They like Jesus' power. Now, you may not have read the previous chapter in Matthew's Gospel for a while, uh, chapter 17. So let me remind you what they've just seen in the previous chapter. Three of them have gone up the Mount of Transfiguration. They've seen Jesus transfigured and they've heard God speak and saying, this is my beloved son, an extraordinary spiritual experience. Then they've come down from that holy mountain and they've seen Jesus drive a demon out of a boy, something none of the disciples could do. Again, extraordinary spiritual power. And then the chapter ends with this... uh, Uh, strange miracle that Jesus does where he finds or he creates two coins in the mouth of a fish in order to pay the temple tax again extraordinary spiritual power and the disciples like what they see and they're waiting to see Jesus finish the job by kicking out the Romans and then the kingdom will really be there and so they say Who will be the greatest in this sort of kingdom? We like what we see you doing. Mind you, they've glossed over what Jesus says about him dying in chapter 17. They've just forgotten that. 
So you can see in even asking this question, the disciples are not really thinking correctly. Life in the kingdom is not about power and greatness. People do not become Christians in order to exert power over others. And Jesus will explain this to disciples in the rest of this passage. And he begins with this beautiful illustration where he gets a child to come and be in front of the disciples. And he says, look at this child. Unless you guys change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 3. Stop thinking about power and greatness and look at this child. Now, when I grew up, and probably when many of you grew up, there was a saying that children are to be seen and not heard. Does anyone believe that anymore? (laughs) You know when you go into a house that has children in it, don't you? But in the ancient world, children had no status, no power, no rights. And what Jesus is saying is that you won't even get in, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven if you think you are someone important. No, you must realise you're totally dependent on God for your entry into the kingdom like this child is totally dependent on parents. What this means spiritually is that we have no power to save ourselves We are totally dependent on God and on the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so we must be humble before God. The little child here is not an exemplar or a model of innocence, but a model of humble dependence. And so Jesus is telling us we all enter the kingdom with childlike humility placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and accepting that Jesus is the king and we are his humble servants and we're all on a level playing field, as they say. And the good thing is that the kingdom is open to anyone who will do this. Anyone who will put their trust in Jesus is welcome in the kingdom. You see that in verse 5. The disciples are concerned about rank and power But Jesus tells them they need to change their attitudes, change their focus, or they won't even enter the kingdom. And it's quite humbling, isn't it? I know from being at St Alfred's for many years that many of you are very impressive people. Some of you will have walked into church this morning with incredibly impressive CVs. Some of you have a lot of money or you are paid a lot of money And through the week, other people think you're very important. None of that matters to God. That's quite humbling, isn't it? But some of you, conversely, might have walked into St. Alps this morning with not much on your CV, not much in your bank account, and nobody thinks you're important. That doesn't matter to God either. Everyone is welcome in the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. So you are welcome here. You're welcome in God's kingdom and you're welcome in this church in Jesus' name. Isn't that good news? So it's great to be humble. It's great to know that we are all on the same level before God. None of us are great. There is only one great one in the kingdom and that is the Lord Jesus. 
Now we move on to verses 6 to 9. Because we are all little children, or Jesus will describe us as little ones in the rest of the passage, you'll see this phrase, little ones, and he's talking about believers. Because we're all little ones in the kingdom of God, then we must look after each other. We're all, we're all vulnerable. We're all impressionable. So we all need help. We must ensure that no believer, no little one, is misled or led or caused to stumble. This word that uh, you'll see translated in your, in your Bibles as caused to stumble or led astray, um, the root meaning of that is, to, is the word we get scandal from. So we've got to ensure what, what Jesus is saying, that no other Christian, no other little one is scandalised, is led astray, is brought into sin. Look at verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, that is, those who believe in me, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, if, if they scandalise one of these little ones, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung round their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So Jesus is describing a situation where a Christian, a little one, has been caused to stumble or has been led astray by the bad influence, the the wrong influence of another Christian or Christians. And he's saying, you don't want to do that. You'd be better off drowned than do that. Now, how might that happen? How might a Christian be led astray? Well, in the modern day, it could be through um, listening to podcasts or reading books or listening to teachers who are teaching false doctrine. You know, they might be teaching that the resurrection never happened, for example, or that all roads lead to God. Uh, It may happen because a Christian leader or a fellow believer is living an immoral life. And this leads someone else astray. They look at this this leader and say, well, they get away with it. Why can't I get away with it? So like a pastor who has a secret gambling addiction or a member of the church who's having an affair. That's how someone else can be led astray because that behavior can have a corrosive effect on other believers. Jesus says it would be better to be drowned than cause one of these little ones to stumble. And it's pretty dramatic, isn't it? Look at verse 8. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. So he's saying what what he's saying there is that our spiritual state affects others. Why is that? Because we're all family. We're all brothers and sisters in this kingdom. So he's saying it would be better off to get rid of, you know, get literally he's saying to get rid of your, your limbs or something um, because the judgment that waits is terrible. It's to be thrown into the eternal fire. Now, I don't think he's meaning literally cut off hands and gouge out eyes. There's an element of hyperbole in the language. Otherwise, every Christian since the 12 disciples would be one-eyed and one-armed. There would be no one walking into church today. You'd all be on crutches or in wheelchairs. And you'd need some, you know, there'd be loads of guide dogs in church. I don't think he's being literal. But just, he is saying how serious sin is and how seriously we need to uh, treat it. Remember how Paul challenges the Corinthian church Uh, with a whole range of issues that were bedeviling their church, things like divisions and jealousy and a man sleeping with his father's wife, 
greed and drunkenness and sexual immorality of various sorts. And Paul really holds up the mirror to them. You can read all that colourful stuff in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 and says, you've got to change. You can't allow this sort of stuff to go on. So what's the remedy for us? Well, at a personal level, here's some guidance from a New Testament scholar and former Anglican leader, Michael Green. He says this, Does your hand offend you, the hand raised in anger or grasping at money? Does your foot offend you, the places it takes you to and the Christian service it declines to undertake? Does your eye offend you, the ever unsatisfied eye of the consumer society? Be single-minded then. Deal ruthlessly with whatever causes you to stumble in your walk with Christ. Deal with it, he's saying. So first of all, we must be honest about our own spiritual health, knowing that our spiritual health can affect others both positively and negatively. This is why in a church like St. Alfred's, growth groups are important, uh, mentorship, mentoring relationships are important, prayer partnerships, because it's important to have other Christians that you can be honest with, you can check in with, and you can gently help if you see that they're going in a dangerous direction and just gently challenge and say, "Mm, hey, brother, I don't think I'd be doing that, or, you know, let me pray for you about that. Let's, Let's have a chat about that. Now, that's at a personal level, taking responsibility for our own spiritual health so that we don't lead anyone else astray. But we can also apply this at a a church level and a denominational level. So at the local Anglican church level, it's so important that we have wardens and parish council who are godly people, godly leaders, because they help set the direction of what a church believes and what a church commits itself to. At the broader level, at a denominational level, the Melbourne Synod and then the General Synod of the Anglican Church of Australia are so important because they help also decide what we believe and then that filters down to the local church level. That's why, it's, you know, much as I dislike sitting in synods, that's one of the reasons I'm committed to going, to try and help make sure that our denomination stays biblical and godly. And at the international level, sadly, you may be following this, I'm not sure, um, but you'll know that the Church of England has just made some decisions uh, about in the areas of human sexuality. And this past week, uh, quite a number of Anglican primates, those are senior leaders of provinces around the world, mostly in what's called the Global South, have separated themselves from the Church of England and the Archbishop of Canterbury. Why? Because they believe the Archbishop and the Church of England are leading the rest of the Anglican Communion into doctrinal error. So in a sense, they're doing surgery. They're saying, we cannot associate anymore. We do not accept your leadership. You have jeopardised our spiritual health, so we are distancing ourselves from you out of love and calling you to repent. So you can see it matters what we believe and how we behave. And you can hear the urgency in Jesus' voice here because he understands the seriousness of sin and the reality of hell in a way that we gloss over. And he doesn't want anybody to be lost. He doesn't want any of the little ones going astray. This is underlined in the last section, the last few verses where Jesus begins in verse 10 by saying to the disciples, 
you're, you're thinking about greatness, but he says in verse 10, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. He's saying to them, everyone matters in the kingdom of God. No one is of greater or lesser importance. And then he gives two reasons for that. One is to do with angels and the other is to do with the character of God. First of all, he says, everyone is important. Don't despise these little ones because um, they have angels in heaven who are, I believe, interceding. They see the face of the Father all the time. It's wonderful to think we have angels in heaven interceding for our welfare. And then secondly, he tells us the parable of the lost sheep to indicate how much God the Father cares for each of the little ones. Look at what he says in verse 14. The Father does not want one of these little ones to perish or to be lost. And he tells this parable. You may know this parable better from Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, the, the parable is about a sinner. And the God the Father is, is the shepherd who goes looking for the one sinner. And then there's a party in heaven when the sinner repents. Here, the lost sheep is not a, sin, a sinner. Here, the, the lost sheep is a believer who has wandered off the path. And the father is the shepherd, the good shepherd, who leaves the 99 to go and look for that believer who has wandered away or been led astray. How would that one sheep have been led astray? By people doing exactly what Jesus was describing earlier. They've been led astray by bad doctrine or bad uh, role models, etc. And the father says, I don't want one of these people to be led astray. And he goes and he gets them. So in Luke's gospel, the purpose of the parable is evangelistic. Go and find uh, unbelievers and bring them to faith. Exactly what the Alpha Course is trying to do. But in this gospel, the purpose is pastoral care. Go and look for your fellow believers and find them and bring them back because that's what God would do. Now, it just may be here this morning, I'm hoping that uh, by the, the significance of what Jesus is saying and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that God might be prompting you to think of somebody, a fellow believer, maybe someone you, you've known in the past who you haven't seen for a while, someone from church perhaps, or a former growth group, someone in your wider Christian networks, who you just haven't, you don't know where they are with God. Maybe this might prompt you to go, might just send them a text message or a, give them a phone call or send them an email just to say, how are you doing? I don't, you know, you don't have to tell them you've been listening to this parable necessarily today, but you want to have the heart of God in this, that God cares for all the little ones and just have that, that sort of picture in your head. Here's, a, here's someone, a mate, a, a friend who's one of the little ones in God's eyes. I don't want them to be lost. I don't want them to stumble. It might just prompt you to check in with them, see how they're going. So that might be something you do during this week. Today's passage, as we saw, began with a question about greatness and ends with this beautiful parable about God's loving care for every Christian because we're all valued in God's eyes. He sees us like little children, like little ones. And in other parts of the Gospels, we're described as sheep without a shepherd. And he comes and he cares for us. 
And so we have learnt that we enter the kingdom through humble, childlike faith and we live in this kingdom together. Life in the kingdom is a community experience. We do it together. We have to fight that individual tendency in us all and care for one another and recognise that our spiritual health, our spiritual state can affect others and be honest and try and, and look after our own spiritual state. God values each one of you so highly that he sent his son, the king, to die for you, to look after you, to lead you in the right way. This is life in the kingdom. It doesn't matter about who's who's important or who has you know more significance in the kingdom we are all little ones and every only there is only one great one and that is our king the lord jesus all our knees bow to him so let's try and care for one another let's uh, look forward to this series and see what we can learn about life in the kingdom and let's ensure that we follow our lord jesus christ the king of the kingdom amen